Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of my biggest concerns about where we are as a country right now is I worry that Americans no longer want to be free. I worry that people just don't care anymore, that they might think what's happening in the country is you know, wrong with what's happening at the southern border or what happened during COVID or the loss of liberty. They might not like it, but they're just not motivated enough to do anything about it to care enough to write this ship. And if we keep that mentality and we lose 2024, is the country as we know it over? Or maybe it already is. I'm gonna have Daniel Horwitz on this episode. He's a senior editor at The Blaze. Uh, He also has a host of the CR podcast as well. He co-authored a book called The Rise of the Fourth Reich, talking about fascism from covid the loss of liberty the destruction that happened to this country so i want to have that conversation with him because you know we see them trying to resuscitate covid in the country and so where is this going why have we not learned but the conversation is going to be bigger than that we're going to talk about 2024 we're going to talk about joe biden is he the one pulling the strings or is someone else where is this all going as a country. So stay tuned. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It's a fascinating one with Daniel Horowitz. Daniel, it's great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm interested in just getting your perspective on uh, this crazy world that we're living in. So I appreciate you making the time. Sure. And it's great to be with you, Lisa. I mean, the last time we spoke was probably when you were a young staffer in, in Congress. We worked on some issues together. So uh, I guess we've both grown older, but the world has gotten better. Have we gotten wiser? <laughs> I would hope to think we've gotten wiser. Um, but, you know, whatever we thought we needed to do, maybe when we first met 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, it's got to be 10 times stronger than that. Um, what are we facing? I mean, you you put everything together. And, y- y- you know, when I got into this, it was a matter of, The culture was on decline. You had a lot of profligacy, spending, overbearing government. 
Now what you have is a threat to life, liberty, and property in its most literal, literal sense. Um, COVID wasn't just about COVID. It was a great reset. And along with it, we saw it came January 6th, BLM, the two-tier justice system, the green energy stuff to the point where they're open about wanting you to own nothing, eat bugs, live in 15-minute cities, and be happy uh, literally erasing a border. It's not just kind of ones and twos coming in, but open invasion, uh, open pro-crime, castration of children. So, and then obviously the biomedical security experimentation and surveillance state, which just would have blown our minds when you and I were working on whatever issues we were a decade ago. So we have never faced such, such an existential threat on so many levels from our own government, our own system. And we've never had a bigger movement of noisemakers identifying those problems like we do today, but never before has there been such a gap between those talking about it and then actually doing the things that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter to redress them. So that's kind of my big 30,000 foot view of where we are today as conservatives. I mean, it is wild if you really just how much has changed in in a decade alone. I mean, never in my life did I think we would be here or go through what we went through with COVID. At the bottom of it, do Americans care? Is it just that not enough people are awake or do they just not care? Do they not care about freedom anymore as a country? Do they not care about what the government's doing? This is the most vexing issue to me following COVID. In your worst imagination, think think when you got into politics, you know, a, de- a decade or two ago, think about your worst nightmare. If Barack Obama would have won, if this Democrat would have won, men, imagine what they could do to us. I could not have envisioned what took p- place with COVID. Creating a virus, killing people, blocking the treatment for it, locking them down, and then creating a dangerous bioweapon vaccine that from Pfizer and the European medicine agencies and theirs, their own documentation has killed countless people, damaged every organ system, and they're still doing it. They're creating new ones. And here we are. And life goes on. Life goes on. I guess in a country of 330 million, if a million or so die, you know, you, you don't notice it that much. It's it's pretty shocking. And, and the question that a lot of us are asking is, if that wasn't enough to spawn a cathartic moment. What is it going to take? Because I shudder to think, I mean, this is why Steve Dace and I wrote Rise of the Fourth Reich, that we need to confront COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial and redress this, at least if not a trial in the state legislatures at a policy level. We still have not denuded them of the power to do this again in most states and certainly at a federal level. And I don't see a party or a movement really readily available that is intent on doing this. And it's not even, you know, etched in people's consciousness anymore. They could do this through the front door. And I I, I don't know, Lisa, how to answer it. I think I kind of magnified your question. But what I would say is I struggle between thinking life is still too good in Western countries that not enough people not enough people died from it. Not enough people permanently had their lives destroyed. Not enough people were permanently kicked out of the military. It, it took its toll. But it's not, you know, 30, 40, 50% of people. 
versus is it a leadership problem? Maybe the people would care if you put steak on their plate. But if you acculturate people to Cheez-Its and sugar, they'll take the sugar. So, you know, we have a conservative industry. Let's face it, Lisa, it's bigger than it's ever been. It's more profitable than it's ever been. With the advent of social media, you can now satiate your desire or stated desire to accomplish things by merely tweeting, which you didn't have when I got into politics. You had to actually be working towards some sort of outcome. And it's just become too profitable. So we have the show. We have a lot of entertainment. But on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, at the time they matter. Oh, look, we have 25 red state supermajorities in session now. Here are the things we can do on medical freedom. This is what I was pushing last session. Oh, we have a budget bill coming up in Congress in another four weeks. Republicans control the House. Here's what we can do to redress that. Um, all these top five, seven issues that we want to deal with. You don't hear much of that. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't have an activism movement. We have a movement built upon entertainment, musing, punditry, and the left has that too but they also have their serious players. So we could be at a point where we expose an issue. Like, I don't know how we could expose the vaccines more than we did. We have thousands upon thousands of data points from two and a half years worth. There, there's, there's no more evidence we can build, but at a policy level, we have not moved one inch because we don't have a movement in place doing that. I, when I deal with state legislatures, what I find amazing is that the left has a 50-state, 3,000-county ground game. So you could have an 80-20 Trump county within a red state, and let's say there's a threat of conservatives finally doing something righteous there, they'll show up. They will be on the ground there. They will be aware of it, and they will do everything they can to fight it. We don't even have a movement like that on the ground in, in you know, legislatures we control five to one. And, and that's that asymmetry is is really ultimately where we are. I think if we had talk show hosts that were focusing more on substance, I think people would care more about it. It's a good point. I also just wonder, though, if like our culture with social media and everything being on online and the ease of life has sort of led people to lose motivation for things of substance. There's no question because you could satiate yourself by there's two ways you can own the libs, so to speak. You can own them by actually denuding them of their power, kind of like you have in your state, <laughs> where on every front he just does, the governor just does, doesn't make a lot of noise about it. Or you can make it a lot of noise and you have a clip of a congressman interrogating someone at a hearing, but no intention of actually doing the one or two things that it would take to push that past the goal line. And people get all excited about it. I mean, but but what I would say, Lisa, is a little bit confounding is how when when and this is not just about the presidential election, but I think it's bringing this point out very starkly substance over style, access versus influence, outcomes versus entertainment. And what I am very struck by is that if you look at the polling. DeSantis has a much better chance of winning a general election than he does the primary. And that's a really a gut punch because I would have said in the past, yeah, you know, our country's not serious enough. You couldn't elect a guy like that. But honestly, I actually think he'd win. It's our own people that have become the problem. 
We're going to take a quick commercial break. More with Daniel Horwitz on the other side. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's, you know, what worries me the most about this upcoming election, because, you know, we both we've worked in politics. We've been in this game for a long time. And and it used to be like, oh, yeah, this is a really important election, yada, yada, yada. And like it was, but you know, how big of a difference would it be if it was a Democrat versus, I mean, Obama was pretty consequential, but you know what I mean? It's not like the end of the world, right? Like it sucks. People lose their jobs, whatever. But where we are now, it really does feel like we are just on the cusp of losing the country that we've known that just going past the point of return. And maybe we're already there, but this election really is truly that important. And I, I just worry, you know, I, look, I don't dislike Trump. I've enthusiastically been with him in the past. I just I don't see how he wins a, a general election, you know, particularly just facing all these indictments that he is, which we know are unfair. We, I mean, we know what they're doing, what they're up to. We might just throw it away. And, and, and then we, there really is no point of return after this election. That's the issue. I'm not seeing an exit strategy and and what bothers me about this is you listen to my podcast and and Lisa, I I sound as apocalyptic as anyone. But the difference is I actually believe my own talking points. I actually believe them. So many of my colleagues, they say the same things. They're gonna come round us up, they're coming after our bodies, they're poisoning us. They're gonna I I, I literally do believe that the things I say on my show, they will come. If we don't stop this within a year or two, the FBI will come knocking on my door, if not in a shorter period of time. How do I know that? Because you just look at the January 6th stuff and you have people that did nothing but step foot into the Capitol 
military veterans, no criminal criminal record, and their political statements were used as pretext to hold them pre-trial with no bail, no violent charges against them, even DOJ's trumped up charges, and, and sometimes given 10 years, and the, and the judge talks about their political views. So you're not punishing them for what they did, but for what they believe. So I believe, I agree with the Trump supporters when they say this is not just about Trump, it's about all of us. But then make it about all of us. See, this is my problem. I, I listened to Trump on my colleague Glenn Beck yesterday, and Trump said, uh, 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 Glenn asked him, don't you fear going to jail? I mean, because all of our colleagues are saying they're going to put him in jail. And I, I'm not just saying that to get listeners. I believe that. No, I really do think they're going to put him in jail. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we, we both believe that. There's because we watched January 6th, because a lot of them, especially in D.C., the judges and the jurors, they they were punished commensurate to how much they supported Trump. We actually have a guy that literally did nothing um, but step foot there. He got four years. OK. And ju- just for context, um, the guy who burnt down Precinct three in Minneapolis, the police station literally torched it got 27 months it's two years and three months so and 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 also this guy was held 20 months pre-trial pre-trial without bail so now you might think that's crazy he got he was one of the oath keepers he got the least amount of time and the judge was like yeah you really didn't do anything oh so here's four years but the reason he got less is because he had no social media he was literally apolitical he was just there for security they're worried about antifa i don't even know if he had an opinion on the election but so what if you believe the election was stolen, whether you're right or wrong, that's not a that that shouldn't have a bearing in what you did. You get punished for what you did. So I have no doubt out of 91 combined federal and state charges with the jury pool that they have, there is no way there is not a minimum of, of prison time. But Trump said he's not worried. Why not? Either he's aloof or he knows something we don't know or has made some sort of a deal that we don't know of. But something, but I actually take it seriously, which is why there's only one thing that could stop this, and that is House Republicans led by McCarthy, who, by the way, is only in that office because of Trump himself, saying that we will not vote for any additional funding for the Department of Justice when it sunsets midnight October 1st unless there is a provision defunding Jack Smith's office. And recently, Representative Andrew Klein, uh, Clyde from Georgia introduced such an amendment. He's on the Appropriations Committee. And I'm not seeing Trump nor any of his supporters even call for that. I'm seeing selling merchandise. I'm seeing uh, the mugshots. I'm not understanding how that helps stop this. I understand how that helps him win the primary. I get that. I don't understand how that redresses his issue, much less our issue, which obviously should be the overarching goal. But again, there's this moral hazard that you and I might picture ourselves being arrested, but I think a lot of our colleagues do not. And it's not their their neck on the, on the line. And at the end of the day, they have a lot of listeners from saying what they're saying. So they don't actually get on the playing field to push outcomes very specific things that we need to be doing. And there's this moral hazard where the more the left wins and the more radical they get and the more ineffective the GOP 
and the fake conservative movement is in combating it, well, what happens, Lisa? The worse it gets and the more apocalyptic it gets. So the more you can get on there and chronicle it. But let me tell you something. There's going to come a time very soon where you can no longer do that. And I think people need to recognize that. Now, I saw that during COVID of just seeing the response to those of us who didn't get the vaccine and to, you know, to not be allowed to go out to dinner in, in New York City to to go to work, you know, to live life, to see people pushing that, you know, Joe Biden, the, the winner of death, basically be terrified of your unvaccinated family member, you know, neighbor, and then people taking him up on that. Or, you know, I, I think it was the Rasmussen poll where almost half of Democrats wanted to put the unvaccinated in camps. I really think that we were heading that that would have all happened if it hadn't been for Omicron, like Omicron sort of deprogrammed people because the people who thought that they could outrun COVID realized that they could not. And then once they got it, it was no longer a dirty thing to to get, you know, and then it all kind of went to the wayside. I mean, they're trying to res- resurrect it now. But so I, I agree with you uh, on the seriousness of all of this. You know, why do you think they're trying to resurrect COVID now? It's back in the headlines. You know, there's some new spooky variant that just in time for the boosters coming out, you know. It's, like... it's really the latter. I, I mean, I would say... Now, look, we, we need permanent structural reforms at a state and federal level to make sure a, an executive can never unilaterally shut things down, can never unilaterally violate bodily autonomy and demand people wear masks. But so I but with that said, I don't think you could. It's hard to do that more than once because most people are onto it. But it's really the vaccines. I mean, that's what they were driving towards. And at the end of the day, they're going to make a huge push. The New York Times even talked about this. They just approved dangerous new RSV shots. So they're going to have people get go into a pharmacy in a few weeks, by the way, flu, RSV and COVID all in once. And that's what they're looking to do. So I don't think they're going to be successful in a mask mandate. But when they put this out, you're going to get some of the fools to go and wear it. And I think you're seeing it a little bit more prevalent than than the last couple of months. And again, that is a symbol of fear. Fear drives a focus on what? We need to take precautions. Well, what precautions? You have to get your negatively effective uh, vaccine that the more you inject, the more you infect, the more you can then uh, push more fear and motivate people to get another booster because the first one didn't work and, and rinse and repeat. This is a permanent, and it's not just about greed. It's a way of life. I think you can tell it's, it's, it's almost like a symbol, uh, like Malok almost, it, it, this obsession with with endless, endless vaccines, that's endless control over our body. Um, and, and look, there's not a single data point that will matter. I don't know if you saw this, Lisa, but uh, CDC just got rid of their only post-marketing pharm- pharmacovigilance program to monitor adverse events of the vaccine, even as they're ramping up new boosters for it. That was the VSAFE program. And there's a reason they're doing it. You know, this is not some random study. This is not some right wing blog. This is their own feedback. So people who get the shot, um, get a paper and they could fill out a form and apply for the app. About 250 million people got the shots. About 11 million people participated in VSAFE to report back their adverse events. Now, that's that's a big sample size, a very, very large sample size. Over 800,000, or 7.7%, reported 
clinical level injury. And that means that you had to seek some degree of medical attention, uh, your primary care, uh, inpatient ER, uh, outpatient, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, um, urgent care clinic. All of those together was 7.7% had that degree. So more than just maybe, a you know, a little fever or malaise or stomach issues, 7.7% and about 1% had to go to the ER. This is their own pharmacovigilance. And th- this has been going on for two and a half years. And we are nowhere closer to taking this off the market. That most estimates have just in the United States alone, at least several hundred thousand deaths from the vaccine. Obviously, theirs has over two million uh, injuries in it. And we know there's an underreporting factor easily of 2025, if not more. Um, you know, tens of thousands of heart attacks reported to theirs and strokes and Guillain-Barre and Bell's palsy, every affecting every organ system. We have Pfizer's own documents that now show that that they observed as of August 2022, millions upon millions of injuries, again, affecting every single organ system. They break it out. The European Medicines Agency recently released these documents. And, you know, the swine flu of 1976, they pulled after a couple hundred cases of Guillain-Barre and about two dozen deaths. This thing is still going on. It is still being promoted. It's being promoted in red states. I just put out a column on this. You have the Mississippi Department of Health paying churches and business leaders $1,000 to sit and pimp it in their communities. This is red states. Florida, to this day, is the only state putting out informed consent, recommending against it, and talking about the injuries. And, you know shadow boxing CDC on this stuff. All other red state health directors are like Fauci. So you have these Republican governors like, oh, we're not doing that here. But their health director. Why? Because there's no pressure on them. Name me the talk show host calling them out. But why in the first time? Because you mentioned, you know, the status symbol of it. Now it's sort of, you know, basically, you know, you're a good person if you get it, whatever. But why push them so hard before? Like, why has this been such an orchestrated coordinated effort to get shots in the arms of as many people as they can around the world like what's the why behind that why they were very successful i mean like i'm telling you even two and a half years later red states have not but why do you what's the motivation push back it? against it's, just, it. it's it's odd to me and the success proves the motivation because the fact that they can get away with this makes it obvious why they're doing it they're doing it because If you look at the things they talk about, population reduction, full control, too many resources, they have now accustomed people to listening to apocalyptic edicts, even if it affects their literal, literally their body. So you could imagine if they want to do, and this is clearly step two of the Great Reset, green energy lockdowns. That doesn't even affect your body, literally. That I could say, you know, you cannot participate in society unless you do, you take an affirmative action against your body. You put something on your breathing holes, you inject something subcutaneously in your body, a novel therapy. So there's quite literally nothing they can't do to you. 
So what I'm trying to say is once they do that, they get everything because then they could easily say, hey, you know, you want to participate in the economy. Uh, that's a little bit too much carbon for you. So whether it's essential bank digital currency, whether it's ESG, whether it's just this straight up controlling our way of living, they're telling us what they want to do. And look, Lisa, I will say beyond the control, there is this population reduction. They say it. I don't know if you saw Kamala Harris said it. Green energy, we get enough people on green energy, clean and efficient. Um, we will reduce the population and we'll have fewer people and we'll be able to live with you know, more resources. I'm paraphrasing there, but she said reduce the population. And at some point, you have to take yes for an answer and listen to what they're saying because you cannot escape that conclusion from the amount of information we have on the carnage that the spike protein, among other elements of this vaccine causes. You know, you could say the first few months you're in a rush, maybe, you know, you think we need something, so you cut corners on safety. But we are two and a half years into incontrovertible evidence of this thing affecting every organ system and this thing being negatively effective on COVID and other respiratory viruses, right? Because Moderna and Pfizer's own clinical trials for children showed a greater increase for RSV. And not surprisingly, now they have RSV shots. They get to say, hey, there's all this RSV going around. Guess what? You need more vaccines. Um, that is the single greatest way you can control a human being that I could inject your body, I could cover your mouth and your nose. And I, I, I mean, look, Lisa, you know this. Our movement was muted like hell in 2020. They talked about my liberty, their whole lives, their whole careers, and we came to the Super Bowl of liberty. It was awfully muted from most of these talk show hosts. Awfully muted. And I think some of that had to do with, well, let me just say, had Hillary been in the White House, I think there would have been a much more robust conservative influencer and red state pushback uh, against that. Uh, but there wasn't. And I said at the time, I said, look, if they could say that we could place a mandate, you know, a lot of people compared it to wearing a yellow star, but a yellow star is an inanimate thing put on your lapel, as repulsive as it is. This is put on your breathing holes. In some cases, for eight hours a day to go to school to work, I said, name me one thing they can't do to you. If they could do that, what can't they do to you? Anything else you come up with, I'll tell you, it doesn't rise to the level of tyranny of a mask mandate. Quick break. Stay with us. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know how I view the transgender stuff, too. If they can get us to go along with something that is just so laughable and so ridiculous, they own us. You know, like you're you're just an owned person at that point if you go along with something that's just not, you know, it's, it's almost like a troll, like they're trolling us, you know? Um, but it's important, right? Because you, you need to say no to these lies and not submit. But I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, there's sort of like this, you know, I hear all these different things about, you know, Joe Biden. Oh, you know, he's just old. He's a, he's a puppet for other people. He's not really the one pulling strings. I actually think that he's evil. And, you know, if you look throughout the history of his career, you know, whether it's leading some of the nastiest confirmation hearings in American history with Robert Bork or Clarence Thomas, just the, the amount of lies that he's told and the disgusting lies that he's told, cashing in with his son. Like, I actually think he's an evil, bad human being and maybe even worse than Obama. Not a smart, but I think he's a bad person. Is he the one pulling the strings? I mean, what do you think about all that? No, I don't. And 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 I don't think that's the case with a lot of presidencies. Um too many people get focused too much on one thing. They're obsessively against Biden or obsessively pro-Trump or against Trump. And the thing is, what I admire about the left is they had the most successful implementation of their ideas under the most weak, flaccid, almost almost a dead carcass like Biden, because they don't need a charismatic leader. They have a movement. That's something we do not have. I admire the left. Um you could say what you want about Biden. He can't put a sentence together, can't walk straight. But you know what? Whatever it is, they're being successful in their implementation. Whatever it is, he owned Kevin McCarthy in that debt ceiling deal. And they've now uh, issued more debt since then than in, in, in all of American history. And that is funding all of their priorities and obviously creating inflation. The thing is, like I said, they have serious people who believe their talking points. So when you hear Rachel Maddow or whatever type of talkers they have on MSNBC and their reporters on CNN, they have serious dudes on the ground, a serious movement, whether it's policy, legal, all 50 states, federal, every subcommittee of every committee, every sub-issue of every issue, they are they never miss a play down the field in opportunity to advance and implement their agenda, okay? You're, you're never gonna have a Democrat governor that mistakenly promotes traditional marriage one day or mistakenly kicks illegal aliens out of his state, right? You don't, you don't have them subvert their own beliefs. So you don't need one big leader. It's kind of like when you start a campfire, 
uh, you know, my, my kids, when I was teaching them how to do it, they would just want to dump lighter fluid on. And, and I would show them that it doesn't work. You have to painstakingly create the tinder and the dry wood and the shavings and you build up to it. And, and that's how you build a durable fire. That's what the left has as a movement. It's not any one piece of wood or any one person. They don't have a Trump, so to speak, where everyone just will follow the guy to, to the gates of hell, no matter what he says or does, or even if he subverts your own stated goals, like all the shows I've been on the last two years, like the vaccine is genocide. And then he gets up there and says, my vaccine saved a million people. And not a single person will even attempt to mildly rebuke him and move him back to the right on that. Um, the left doesn't have that. They, they don't they don't tolerate that. They have a movement. They believe their talking points and they implement it. Lisa, we are lacking that movement. We have an industry. We don't have a movement. We have an industry. And, and that's the asymmetry. So we're always looking for this one guy. You know, I support DeSantis over Trump, but in a very different way, not in the same way they do. I don't think Oh, you just get him in there. Oh my gosh, it's down to the promised land. What I support is I want that to be the paradigm that every governor of a red state is a minimum Ron DeSantis. Every state legislative leader in a red state, majority leader and speaker, is at a minimum like that. Every county councilman and school board member in a red district is like that, focused on implementation, believes in our views, and heck, takes it to the next level does it even better than he's done. That's mainly what I want, because that's the movement we're lacking and the paradigm we're lacking. But we're always looking for this one issue or one guy or one thing to come along or one election. It, there's no shortcut. You're not going to meme your way or mugshot your way into anything. The left is not into that. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't see anyone excited about Joe Biden. Of course you don't. No one's excited about him but they get the job done. They have a movement. And we need to start thinking of how we do that. But then, you know, the people who are actively supporting Trump right now for 2024 will say, well, he's the only guy who's been able to build a movement uh, on the right and everyone needs to align behind him. A movement and, and around get, what? Well, I, I mean, the, you know, on implementation, I'm just going to tell you the red states are worse than they've ever been. The only governor that actually does something of worthy, they're trashing now. Um, I, I mean, you know, this is my bread and butter because you remember my primary work. I've been doing this long before Trump. Um, I, I recruited against McConnell in 2014 before it was cool. Now everyone's like, oh, he's terrible. Yeah, well, no one joined when it mattered. But here's the deal. I, I, I mean, you, you remember me back in the day. I will tell you, we have actually gone backwards on Senate and gubernatorial and congressional primaries. We are not, and, and I'm not even saying Trump versus DeSantis, like a DeSantis paradigm, even a Trump paradigm. Most of these guys are not even like Trump. They're the same chambercrats. They're the same people. But what, what the Trump movement has given them is a panic button. If you notice, all they do is they'll just ingratiate themselves to Trump as a person. So that diffuses any ability to get them out. But they're on policy, they're the same people. And they learn that. And I don't blame them. It's a very easy way out. So they're the same chambercrats that give into the same corporate interests. But they'll just say something nice about Trump and done. They get his endorsement and and you're done. Ironically, the only great endorsement that was ever impactful, Trump now regrets. You know, that, that that's a big problem. 
And, and this is my criticism of them. I don't care. Vote for Trump. Vote for him early. Vote for him often. I don't care. But we need to work on getting him to endorse better people. We need to get him on message on our issues. We need to get him to stop with this Laura Loomer crap and the Roger Stone stuff and the Bruce Jenner stuff and the Don Jr., you know, don't be mean to Bud Light stuff and attacking from the left on Disney and all this crap that we wouldn't tolerate with anyone else. We need to get off of that and not allow any person, DeSantis, Trump, or anyone, derail us from our stated objectives. Stop promoting Kevin McCarthy and Rona McDaniel just because Trump endorses them. I mean, I could go on and on the policy and personnel problems with him. We are not better off. We do not have a stronger Republican Party. Um, it has not changed. They have just fused with him. They indulge his rhetoric, and they do the same things because they recognize that the base and this movement you talk about is not serious about their own stated objectives. How do you have all these people that would say the same thing I did about the vaccines and they're not bothered one inkling that if you believe the biomedical security state is the biggest threat, Trump believes that warp speed, which is being followed up upon every day, is the greatest thing ever. I mean, but then again, Lisa, there's nothing new about Trump. I, I marvel at a lot of our colleagues that came to age under Trump. So they have no kind of political perspective or worldview beyond him. They think that it's just, uh, you know, there was an establishment and he came in. And some of us were fighting that long before. And ironically, look, I'll tell you, I did not vote for Mitt Romney in the general election in 2012. Now, I'm from Maryland, so it wasn't such an impactful state. Maybe if I would have been in a swing state, maybe I would have. We had an election over Obamacare and we nominate the freaking guy that was the grandfather of it. So it's a similar thing here. Although in fairness, I, I do think, I mean, it, it, Trump was able to get some working class voters over voting for him that like admit Romney yeah, never but, but you're is talking about electoral politics. I'm right. talking about policy. I'm talking about policy, ultimate outcomes, where we are, where we landed. Look at the personnel, the, the Gary Cohns and the Stephen Mnuchins and the Tillersons and the Kellys and the and, and the Mattis is all these people and Kushner. And I mean, and, and look, at the time, we tried as hard as we could. I had friends in the admin, but they were never at the top. And we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. We were always playing an away game. We were never able to make the case from the right. It was always, a, but the rhinos, but the, okay, I get that. But there are some serious issues. See, incontrovertibly, Trump has done some good things we wanted, and he's done some things we didn't want. And you could weigh that in your mind. But incontrovertibly, even, I mean, and you know who these people are, they know deep down there are some serious policy, personnel problems, you know, character problems, focus problems. Okay, there, there's, there's some issues there. Done some good things, but there's definitely issues there. There is no attempt to vet that out. We are hundreds of days away from a general election. I don't want to hear this crap, but the Democrats. This is not a but the Democrat time. Okay, we have, we have a lot, lot of time to say the primary is over and there's nothing to see about DeSantis. And I'm going to make sure to 
to let him get away without ever debating mano a mano, that is a debate we should all want. These are two people with the most significant records. They, they both have significant records that inform on the issues and strategies of our time. And we deserve a mano a mano debate. If you're a Trump person, that would strengthen him, or it should. You should want that. If this, if this is not about the man, but an objective, I view DeSantis as a vehicle and one of many because we really need to focus on having these 50 to 5 Republican legislators actually do something of value, which they're not. You're like, why are we talking about Florida all the time? We should have 20 other states. Although I do think DeSantis is, though, uniquely different than most people in this. I, you know, I've, I've interacted with him a lot. I've gotten to know him. I mean, the guy is actually brilliant. So I, I do think he's uniquely different in the sense of he he just sees things clearly. He knows how to be effective. He knows the way government works. So I, I do think, you know, he is sort of a different beast. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he's not been able but to. But why aren't we grooming candidates to be more like, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell I mean, you. Yeah, I don't think they're as smart as him to be. Per- I, I honestly, like he's like, uniquely smart well the smart is also committed to i mean there's 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 certain backbone because right now the backbone aspect is a huge part of it but the- you could be the biggest chamber crat around and give in and turn your red state into crap but as long as you kiss one man's rear end you're 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 gold desantis is dirt but these other governors are gold that is a problem headed forward because what we really need is pressure on these other governors. Why are you doing like just today? Politico had an article. Very important. What's one of the worst things that are threatening us? Like I said, the second COVID, the Green New Deal. Okay, that is existential to our way of life, our standard of living. And, you know, we are able to block it without repealing it. You know how? Kind of like Medicaid expansion. If the red states would refuse to take the money because most people don't know this, but most of the wind and solar grift is actually in red states because they have more land. And ironically, it takes a lot of land mass because this is actually not very eco-friendly. It's it's a, it's a scam. And most the red states is where most of the land is. They are gobbling that up like anything. Actually, uh, Biden mentioned this in his State of the Union address, and he wasn't wrong. You know, for all of his incoherence, he was he was on fire with this. He said. All right, guys, you know, you uh, you all voted against it, but you have all these Republican governors clamoring to come at the to 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 be seen with me at these red ribbon ceremonies, uh, unveiling their new green projects. That's fine. I'm president of all the people. Remember, you said that. And, you know, he's not wrong. They are all groveling. You know, DeSantis turned down the money. It's the first one. He said, I'm not taking it. We're not doing that here. And there are. The thing about DeSantis, it's not just that he did more conservative stuff than any other governor. It's he has cured the kryptonite of what has prevented red states from being red and what has prevented conservatives from actually governing in the way we want. Now, a lot of Republicans are frauds, but not all of them are. Some of them get in genuinely believing in what we believe in. But there are three impediments to why gov- why you don't see another DeSantis. Number one, identity politics, right? Everything is, you're a racist. So they won't touch anything. Like, for example, what other governor will directly get, you know, say, 
I'm not going to do AP African American studies. I mean, that's like an institution. I mean, usually they won't they won't do policies that could have a second or third order of magnitude consequence accused of being you know towards black people, a program being cut off or whatever. He could AP African American screw it. He has anti white stuff there, CRT. You got to get rid of it. He doesn't care. The identity politics just doesn't touch it. Second thing is um, corporate politics, okay? So, for example, especially in small red states, you know, the smaller red states, if anything, the corporations overpower their politics even more than at a federal level. So the biggest employers in a given state are usually what? The healthcare cartel. Okay, why was Asa Hutchinson horrible in Arkansas, vetoing COVID, you know, freedom, medical freedom legislation, vetoing bills and castration? It's he's bought out by Walmart, J.B. Hunt and and Tyson's. That's what controls the politics. So you might have the people conservative, but that doesn't matter. You you go to the Dakotas. And Christy Nome literally primaried friends of mine who had legislation trying to prevent companies from issuing mandates, vaccine mandates. That's how strongly she she felt about it. She would not entertain any of that. As everyone remembers, she vetoed even the weak sports bill, like the female sports is the low-hanging initiative in terms of combating the tranny agenda. Is it that Christine... Yeah, is it that Christine Nome privately is a leftist and has a rainbow flag in her house? No. But at the end of the day, Sanford Health, and and they they run the state. It's the same reason why she refuses to to uh, you know follow the Freedom Caucus and call a special session to deal with the green energy land grabs eminent domain issue. There, it's all corporate politics. You look at this man, and and DeSantis, he doesn't give a darn. He he not only will do the right thing despite them, he'll then go after them. The sugar lobby, Disney, he just doesn't care. The biggest employers in the state. And number three is federal funding. I could tell you, every Republican, when we tried to get them to get off the, to ban mass mandates in hospitals, they're like, we can't do it. The CMS funding, the CMS funding. In Florida, so they refused to implement it on the National Guard. Now, they threatened they would cut off funding, but you know what happened in the end? They never even did it. And th- this is what he just did with the green energy. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking the funding. I want you guys to think of every, the top 20 issues your listeners care about. And if you want to know why red states are not truly red on those issues, it's one of those three or a combination, identity, corporate, or federal funds. Okay, it's why illegal immigration. Okay, let's face it. Every Republican's like, oh, the border is terrible. But when it boils down to it, the governors of Oklahoma and, and Idaho just tried to get driver's license to them. Why? Do they ideologically support it? Probably not. But it's all the ag interests, all the business interests. And DeSantis is like, I don't care. This is the right thing to do. We're going to do it. And ironically, I don't know if you saw this um, New York Times article where this roofing company said, we're going to go to the Carolinas and Georgia. And I said, wait a minute, that's kind of funny because on paper, they have an e- a private use E-Verify too, actually. Most Southern states do, uh, seven others. But they know it's a joke. It's not enforced. 
they know he will actually do it. You got to win, though. Before we go, take us through the primary. Take us through what you think is going to happen coming up here with the primary and then the general election. You know, how, how do you see? I, I love Governor DeSantis, right? I, I, I moved to Florida for a reason. I left New York City, right? You got to win the primary, right? You've got to win to do the things that you're laying out. So what what do you foresee happening over the next few months with the primary and the general election. Take us through your thought process and all of this. You know, when it comes to the primary, obviously, just because you th- what's right is not always popular and what's popular is not always right. I mean, I've lost almost every primary because I've gone after incumbents or then the big name GOP. And there's nothing different here. He is de facto an incumbent. And it is extremely hard to dislodge that in a primary. It's the same reason why I failed to get rid of Thad Cochran and to get rid of Mitch McConnell. Um, we just in Mississippi tried to get rid of the lieutenant governor, who's a chambercrat, um, but no one focused on that or gave a darn. So he he won by seven points. Uh, and 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 I mean this this has always happened. So it is not easy to be the insurgent. But make no mistake, he is the insurgent. Um, so I'm not saying being a prognosticator and saying it's the most likely scenario. It doesn't take away the fact that it's the right thing to do, both from a policy standpoint, a, a, you know, a moral standpoint, principle standpoint, and, and from a electoral standpoint, because, of course, the left's going to come after him. I mean, you're in Florida, the Miami Tampa media crush him every day, but at least it's going to be over. You're kidnapping illegal aliens. You know, I, I, I too many Trump people think, well, the, the left's just going to be unfair and steal everything anyway. But at the end of the day, you're trying to appeal to swing voters. And, you know, no matter what you do, you could have Moses come down with the tablets. Forty seven percent are going to vote against you. They're going to vote for the Democrat. But in those margins is where it matters. You know, whether you just turn people off with stupidity or you're actually you're focused on selflessness. And that's the image he gives off. So I am very much very bullish on his prospects in a general election that we could actually get our foot in the door to have a conversation about the spending causing the inflation in our way of life and then taking away all the vital products and services we want and the biomedical fascism and freedom and the border and all this stuff. Now, as far as the primary, um, look, if this were a national primary, if this were a national primary, he, DeSantis would have no chance. And that's pretty clear. At the end of the day, it's a staggered primary. And in Iowa, you have even an NBC reporter said on the ground, it is a very different circumstance. You're starting to see a little bit of a reverse shift in momentum. Um, He's got to win Iowa. You know, is he favored at this moment to win Iowa? No, but it's actually pretty close from what most people will tell you, because most pollsters just keep in mind, they don't have access to the caucus data. Who turned out in the caucus? I think he can win Iowa, but then you've got to Ooh, win. Okay, so, you, so you, wins, wins, but you've got to go out. You, you, but you can't do the Ted Cruz no, thing no, no. where he wins Iowa. And, you know, you've got to win New Hampshire or South Carolina. Or, uh, you know of, what of I mean? course, you, you of can't, course. It can't just be Iowa. A couple things. First of all, South Carolina, if you look at the polling, it's tracking right around Iowa. Um, the governor has his military background. And Trump's, Trump's ceiling, here's what's important. Trump's ceiling is lower in the first three major states than nationally. That is a fact that no one disagrees with. It's a surprise. I thought South Carolina would be very strong. It's not. He's Trump is very strong in Nevada, but that's less important. So that he's the most favored to win. In South Carolina, it's the same story. What happened with Ted is there's two differences that happened with Ted that 
presumably don't apply here. Number one is that you had the Ben Carson thing. If you remember, he had no momentum because they all said he stole the thing, whether it was fair or not, by Steve King coming out and saying that uh, that uh, Ben Carson was dropping out and Trump, uh, Cruz got crushed. I mean, and then he apologized. He got crushed. I mean, his Iowa win was worthless. Whether it was fair or not, that's what happened. Also, I don't know if you remember um, your current employer, uh, you know, put out this meme. Bronze was the new gold, if you remember. If you came from Mars, you would have thought Marco Rubio won the primary, so they really promoted him. Um, Presumably, you're not going to have that. So, you know, that was an anomaly. Otherwise, Cruz was able to compete. He even won states thereafter, but that crushed him. Number two is Trump has gone from New Hampshire being his strongest state to his weakest state. So again, and, and this is just, I'm you know, this is just horse race. I'm not going on what I want to happen, but Trump was inherently very strong in the Northeast before he became president and people soured on him. Uh, this was very true in the primary, even the general. If you remember, he overperformed in New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, he didn't win those states, but he overperformed. So in New Hampshire, he was always very, very strong. And it was always a tough lift, even without the Carson thing, for Iowa to necessarily carry Cruz in New Hampshire. Now it's flipped. New Hampshire is the most college-educated state. So he's become very weak with that. Now, DeSantis is weak in New Hampshire, but so is Trump. Trump has the highest anti-Trump vote against him in New Hampshire of, of any state, maybe except for Utah, but certainly any early state, more so than even Iowa. In other words, Iowa, Cruz, ha- uh, uh, DeSantis has a pretty big path, but Trump is still well-liked. Trump is outside of the 30%. He has a very low ceiling. He is not liked. Now, the problem is it's too muddled now with all these other candidates and you have some of the kind of Chris Sununu type of moderates that are splitting among a, a lot of people. But were, Cru- were DeSantis to win... There'll probably be some clearing of the field before that's Iowa That's what I'm as saying. Well. So, you know, yeah, yeah. No, some he's got to win Iowa. He, he could still lose but Iowa. Even before Iowa, you'll, you'll probably have some... But, pe- you but, know what I mean? Like, not but, everyone's going to probably lose Iowa. were DeSantis to win Iowa, there is a very strong case to be made that that momentum will coalesce the conservatives that are upset, you know, from the right for our reasons and the moderates that are upset for reasons that you and I maybe would disagree with. And then there is no I mean, and look, I will be the first to tell you again, this is horse race. I don't like Chris Sununu. He's exactly the sort of governor I'm talking about. I don't like him, but he hates Trump for his own reasons. If DeSantis wins Iowa, he will absolutely endorse. And you already see that this week, the stuff he said about the debate. You did not have someone of that stature endorsing Cruz. Um, and in fact, you know, Trump got all the endorsements. And then you have South Carolina, where again, DeSantis has his military background. Um, Trump is polling more around 3840 than 55, 60, like he is in Kentucky and Louisiana and these kind of these other Southern states. So that is the path. I mean, he wins that it's game over. Um, Now he'll hang on for dear life, but then a lot of our colleagues um, who let's face it, they follow the polls. 
Okay. I mean, I had, but again, there's nothing new about this. I'll never forget one of the only races I ever won was Dave Brack when he defeated Eric Cantor. And no, nobody would have supported him. And the day after, everyone was like, oh, this is awesome. And I'm not going to mention names, but people that would be the prototypical types to dump on an effort beforehand, they're like, oh, uh, you know, my dad would like to be his chief of staff. Here, Daniel, here's, here's his resume. Could you give it to Brad? And people go with winners. I mean, that, that's what I can't stand about it. You and I both know if the polls change, conservative media, a good portion of them will change. So I think that would happen. Now, look, DeSantis has to step up his game. At the end of the day, you have the voters we have, and they're acculturated to the clown show that we have. And it's not good enough just to deeply understand his record and what that portends for what he would do as president. He needs to grab the voters by the shirt collar and scream it into their veins. He needs to up his rhetoric. He needs to get more aggressive, um, be that lightning rod against the left. You know, naturally, he's more into doing than talking. You, you see it with the hurricane. He gains, he gains his inspiration from doing. Whereas Trump, you watch it, he's not into governing, but he loves the rallies. He gets his energy. He's into campaigning. He's very good at campaigning, although I don't see any campaign events this time, which is a little bit bizarre. But, you know, that's what he's been good at. DeSantis, at the end of the day, like you're saying, you know, we could say Trump's not going to govern good. He's going to betray us. He might not win the general election. And that's true. But it's the same thing in reverse. DeSantis could have a great chance of winning a general, be a great president, but if you don't win the primary, it's worthless. So he's got to step outside his comfort zone, up the ante, take more bold, bold stances. Even if he needs a fire under his ass, is what you know. He need, he exactly. needs to yeah, like he needs to act like he's losing because he is, and so it's like you don't really exactly. have anything to lose at this point. So you might as well just go balls to the wall and like really get after it, you know. And like and also like I, I'm sorry, you you can't take on. If you're trying to take on Trump, you got to take on Trump. You know, you, you can't be afraid to make your case and can't be afraid of alienating the, the Trump people because you have to convince them. And so, like, you got to, you know, you got to go after the king if you if you want to win. Right. So, you know, before last question, before we go, is there any world where you think Trump can win a general election in 2024? I don't like this never and always thing because, you know, I think, of course, there's a world he could win. But but here's the important thing. I am much more confident about my policy views than I am about horse race. So I have been wrong on horse race before. And a lot of, and frankly, everyone is, but they don't admit it. The difference is I don't make the same mistake twice. So I bought into this whole, oh yeah, you know, the 2022 polling and we're going to win all the black and Hispanic vote. The bottom line is if you look at the polling on Indies and you look at the polling in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, and several similar states, there is this inveterate deadlocked electorate that we that was created in response to Trump in 2018, fairly or unfairly, and it remained for three consecutive election cycles, even with the worst inflation, worst melees, Biden's negative approval, it is still there. Could the fourth time be a charm? It could be. But here's a thing to remember. The only path I see for Trump is, and, and there is evidence of this, that Biden has slipped even more, that 
for whatever reason, the things people didn't realize for the last four years finally got through their thick skulls. I, I know a lot of pollsters who have said this, that the falling on stage really had an impact. So that people just see Biden as a dead vessel. But here's the deal. Unlike our side, which will commit suicide, the left won't, and they never do. If they view, ultimately, that it's headed in that direction, they'll swap him out for a fresh face. And, you know, I think they would pick more like a Gretchen Whitmer, who's, you know, shockingly and appallingly won a landslide in Michigan. Because I think, you know, Gavin Newsom in California is too much of a, California is too much of a, of a, caricature and a punchline i i don't think they're that stupid i mean he might want the nom but they would go with someone more like gretchen whitmer who's just as radical but clearly has you know pulled her weight in the midwest and and that's uh, that's very hard for someone like trump to beat a fresh face when there's so much fatigue with him running for a third election already and that would be true of really any candidate there's always going to be fatigue in this era of mass media and you know he's a spent force so I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but but then then there's the third thing. There's the primary, there's the general, but then there's what happens thereafter. And again, not all is well from the right with that presidency. I would I would put the dividing line more between domestic and foreign. I think his foreign policy was a lot better. But on domestic issues, yeah, I think he was good. He was really good on foreign policy. I feel like you got to give him that. He was really good on foreign policy. Got to give him that. But again, I don't give a damn about foreign policy when our own government's a freaking Fourth Reich. I mean, it's the domestic that matters. And who is his Treasury Secretary going to be? Uh, Laura Loomer, Lindsey Graham. I mean, I mean, who around him shares our values and is? I mean, I mean the same personnel problem is there. I'm not seeing him. You know, when he. Kisses up to Rona McDaniel and 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 Kevin McCarthy, and he has all these people around him that are either establishment grifters or, if you want to call them right, they're like people that say Casey faked her cancer. I mean, I don't see, I don't, and when he won't swear off warp speed, he won't even swear off the freaking ventilators and the lockdowns. I don't see a change. I I don't, and and. I want to remind people that you have to look at a presidency in the future with a dynamic, not a static analysis, meaning static the way the world is today. We could have never predicted COVID. I want to to make this very clear to your listeners. I don't care if it's Trump, if it's DeSantis, if it's Nikki Haley, if it's freaking Mitt Romney, who would become the Republican nominee and win as president. As long as it's someone who's not a Democrat, if there's a Republican in the White House, they will up the ante of these, uh, let's just say, transformational events in the world. We, we think everything's governed by, oh, the House passes something then the Senate does. And well, they're not going to do that. Come on. No Republicans. Do. Yeah. But if that's not what governs our world, we are governed by cathartic events. And many of them are induced. The Ukraine stuff the COVID stuff, the George Floyd stuff. And it's in that moment of panic and clamor. Who is the one man who is able to see through that? Because it will happen. It doesn't matter what Republican is there. They will create natural disasters that aren't so natural. They will do a bunch of things. Remember, it's not the, the Senate and the governors and you know the even the Federal Reserve that controls what goes on. 
COVID was concocted. And they have a lot more where that came from. And it's not just viruses. And you have to look through who will be have the brains and the balls, but in, in, in a stable, focused way to cut through that. Name me one other state where we have a secretary of health like Joe Latipo or a secretary of education like Manny Diaz that will fight for our views. I cannot find that. Where there, There's very few people that are competent and share our values. That's what people need to look towards. This is taking politics to the next level beyond the mugshots and the talking points. This is the debate we need. I don't care who you support, but before it's too late, I want a one-on-one debate. And if Trump comes out the stronger for it, awesome. But that's the debate that our colleagues are trying to avoid. You're talking about winning in a way that actually transform the transforms the country for for a better that's actually you know making change that's actually making a difference it's actually putting this country on a trajectory where it's livable <laughs> again you know daniel we're gonna leave it there i think brains and balls might be a good bumper sticker <laughs> 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 i'm envisioning it now <laughs> brains and balls uh, <laughs> Very, very interesting conversation. Uh, learned a lot from you. I appreciate you making the time. Everyone go check out Senior Editor at The Blaze, host of the Ciara podcast, co-author of The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate you making the time. Really had a lot of fun. Take care. So with Daniel Horowitz, I appreciate him taking the time to, to join the show and give us his perspective on you know all the stuff happening in the world. I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.